Uh, today's scripture reading is on the um, book of Acts, chapter 22, verses 1 through 21. Sorry, let me just pull this up. Brothers and fathers, listen now to my defense. When they heard him speak to them in Aramaic, they became very quiet. Then Paul said, I am a Jew, born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city. I studied under Gamaliel and was thoroughly trained in the law of our ancestors. I was just as zealous for God as any of you are today. I persecuted the followers of this way to their death, arresting both men and women and throwing them into prison as the high priest and all the council can themselves testify. I even obtained letters from them to their associates in Damascus and went there to bring these people as prisoners to Jerusalem to be punished. About noon, as I came near Damascus, suddenly a bright light from heaven flashed around me. I fell to the ground and heard a voice say to me, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? I asked. I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting, he replied. My companions saw the light, but they did not understand the voice of him who was speaking to me. What shall I do, Lord? I asked. Get up, the Lord said, and go into Damascus. There you will be told all that you have been assigned to do. My companions led me by by my hand into Damascus because the brilliance of the light had blinded me. A man named Ananias came to see me. He was a devout observer of the law and highly respected by all the Jews living there. He stood beside me and said, Brother Saul, receive your sight. And at that very moment, I was able to see him. Then he said, The God of our ancestors has chosen you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear words from his mouth. You will be his witness to all people of what you have seen and heard. And now, what are you waiting for? Get up, be baptized, and wash your sins away, calling on his name. When I returned to Jerusalem and was praying at the temple, I fell into a trance and saw the Lord speaking to me. Quick, he said, leave Jerusalem immediately because the people here will not accept your testimony about me. Lord, I replied, these people know that I went to one synagogue to another, to imprison and to beat those who believe in you. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I stood there giving my approval and guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. Then the Lord said to me, Go, I will send you far away to the Gentiles. This is the word of the Lord. Hello, Edgewater. My name is Josh Kim. For those who don't know, I'm one of the intern pastors here at New Mercy with um, Pastor Chris and Pastor Christine. Um, and I don't—I rarely get to visit Edgewater because um, I'm in charge of Mercy Minors at Hackensack, and I help out with the one o'clock service there. So I rarely get a chance to come. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm honored to be here and just preach God's word. Just to give a little introduction about myself, um, I graduated college in 2014, and I decided to go to Ivory Coast. 
and um, just give up a year of my life from missions. And, and I came back around last August, and then I headed right into seminary. And I'm in ATS right now, Alliance Theological Seminary in Nyack. I go to school with Hera, with uh, Pastor Christine, and Pastor Chris. And yeah, so far, my six months of internship here at New Mercy has been great. You guys have an awesome, awesome pastoral staff. I'm learning a lot from them. And I'm just, yeah, I'm just having a really great time. Um, for those of you who are joining us for the first time today, um, our church has been going through the Book of Acts for our sermon series, and we've been learning about the history and the real experiences of the early church and, and the disciples. And, and I love the Book of Acts for two reasons. Number one, we get a clearer picture of an extraordinary God using ordinary people for extraordinary things. And, like, you can't help but get excited when you read the stories in Acts, right? Like, Paul and Peter, they preach, and on the spot, 3,000, 5,000 people accept Christ on, 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 that, on, on that moment right there. Like, how awesome is that? Like, I wish I could put that on my pastoral resume. Like, hashtag pastor goals, right? That's what I wish. You can't help but get excited reading these stories. And the second thing that I love about the book of Acts is that it's the only book in the Bible that never ended and is still being lived out today. It's being lived out by you, me, and the church. That we still have the same mandate and the same commission to heal the sick, to raise the dead, to cleanse the lepers, to disciple nations. And I think about it, and I just can't, like, I get excited, and I think, man, what an awesome privilege it is that we get to be part of this greater narrative, this greater story, this redeeming work that God is doing in history today. Amen? Just to let you know, statistically, it's been proven that, um, you know, if I get a response and you guys say amen, I preach better. So just letting you guys know. But um, before we continue on with our story with Apostle Paul, let me just open us with a quick word of prayer. Jesus, we thank you so much for Sundays where we come into your presence and we worship you. Lord, you receive all the honor. You receive all the glory. Lord, we thank you so much that you're a redeeming God, that you don't leave anything broken, but you restore things and you redeem things. We love you. We thank you. We honor you. In Jesus Christ we pray. Amen. So my best friend got engaged yesterday to his girlfriend of six years, and yesterday we celebrated. It was an awesome time. I'm so happy for them. I think they're getting married next year, so yeah, it's going to be awesome. And it just got me thinking about marriage, and I'm like, Lord, where's the one for me? Where's my girlfriend? I'm waiting. I'm waiting. And, you know, just a lot of other things I've been thinking about marriage. And um, it just reminded me of this story of an elderly couple who've been married for over 60 years. And a reporter asked this couple, How'd you guys do it? How'd you guys manage to stay together for so long? And the wife responds, we lived in a time when if something was broken, we would fix it rather than throw it away. And I think that statement says a lot about the time in the society that we live in right now. That where we, where we always have the option for something new, for something better, and with something with more value. And we know it, right? Once something gets broken, the value and the worth of that object or that person decreases automatically. And because we're bombarded by this influence in society, we naturally project this thought and this idea onto God's kingdom. And we think because we're broken, God is onto the next, God is onto the new, and God is onto the better. And therefore, most of our time, we're living our lives hiding in shame, running away from the calling on our lives, not believing in who we're called to be. Because at the core of it, we believe that our brokenness disqualifies us from the kingdom of God. How can God use me? Why would he use me? 
But if we look at Paul's story, we see that that's the opposite in the kingdom of God. So just to give you a little backdrop on Acts 22 today, um, just a little bit beforehand in the previous chapters, Apostle Paul is on his third missionary journey, and he's continuing the works of, he's continuing advancing the kingdom of God, and, and you know, he comes back to Jerusalem, and he's telling, telling all the elders in Jerusalem about the great things that are happening, miracles, people giving up their idols, people accepting Christ, and the elders are so excited as well, and they praise God. But then they tell Paul this, that some faithful Jews in Jerusalem are upset because they've heard rumors that Paul was teaching Gentiles to get rid of Jewish laws, to not follow them like circumcision. Therefore, the elders wanted Paul to go to the temple and go through a purification ceremony to prove that these rumors were false and that Paul actually observed the Jewish laws. So Paul agrees, and Paul goes, and the purification ceremony lasts about seven days, and he's about to finish up when a couple of Jews who were up to no good started making trouble in, in the neighborhood. That's the JKV, Josh Kim version. But in reality, okay, in all seriousness, sorry, that was a bad joke. But Jews from Asia happened to be in Jerusalem at that time, and these Jews knew that Paul, they, they believed that Paul was was proving these accusations right. And so when they see Paul in the temple, they immediately start, start a riot, and they accuse Paul, saying, this is the guy who's teaching all the Gentiles to, 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 to get rid of the Jewish laws. And next thing you know, you read in Acts 21, it says that the whole city rioted, and they were planning on killing Paul, probably stoning him. And luckily for Paul, the Roman army comes, and, and, and it takes him out of the crowd, and they're about to bring him to the fortress, but Paul says, wait, hold up, hold up, hold up. Let me speak to this cr- crowd right now. And so we get to Acts 22. And Paul speaks and begins to tell the stories and says, brothers and fathers, I am a Jew. I grew up following the law perfectly. I was so devout that I even persecuted people who followed this guy named Jesus. And when I read that part of Paul explaining his early days, his, his, his broken story, whether in Acts 22 or in, in other parts of his letter, I kind of hesitate and I kind of get embarrassed for Paul. And I'm like, Paul, Paul, stop right there. You don't need to explain that part. Like, we all know who you were and what you did back then. But come on, that's in the past. Don't bring up that ugly, broken part of your story. But Paul doesn't hesitate to reveal that part of the story because Paul understands that it's his whole story that reveals God's whole grace. It's just not moments, it's just not parts, it's just not seasons of his life, but it's his whole life that reveals God's whole grace, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And isn't that the beauty of Paul's story, that Paul actually killed God's people? There's a certain beauty and power of God's love and grace in that context of who Paul was and what Paul was doing. I love Instagram. Any Instagram lovers here? Yeah, I love Instagram. I love the fact that I can make my picture so perfect. I can edit it any way I want. I'm not going to lie. I know some guys will judge me, but I spend like 10 minutes on one photo because I want to get it right. Because when I put it on my Instagram page, I want to show my life in a certain way. And I was thinking about this fact of editing and and Paul's broken story, and I realized this, that God doesn't edit our stories. Amen? He doesn't look at our life and it's like, oh, that moment of his life? Oh, yeah, that mm, that didn't make sense. Let's, Let's increase the fade on that picture right there, right? 
He doesn't go, oh, oh, man, let's crop that part. Yeah, yeah, only keep the good part. Or he doesn't go, oh, man, that season of his life, man, not even worth putting up on the Instagram page. God not only rewrites our story, but God redeems our story. If you look at Sarah in Genesis, God approaches Sarah and Abram and says, I promise you by the time next year that you're going to have a kid. And what does Sarah do? Sarah laughs. And it's kind of like an awkward scene in this, in, this, in this situation because God's like, Sarah, why did you laugh? And Sarah goes, I didn't laugh. And God's like, I'm God. I heard you laugh. It's kind of weird, right? But then what do we read in Hebrews 12? In the hall of faith, Sarah's included. And it says that she was full of faith for she believed that God's promise would come true. That was her legacy. And it just goes to show that God redeems our stories. God isn't ashamed or embarrassed of our stories. In verse 17, we see Jesus telling Paul, Paul, leave Jerusalem because people won't listen to your testimony here. And Paul's like, Jesus, he, it says that he argues with Jesus, right? He says, Jesus, but if I leave here, people, everyone knows my reputation by now. Everyone knows that I imprisoned and persecuted your people. Who would believe me? Who would even respect me? But God isn't ashamed of Paul's past. And if you read that passage right there, when Paul reminds God of his past, God reminds Paul of his future. And he says, go, I'm sending you out to the Gentiles. And I believe God wants to empower us. And I believe the way he wants to empower us is to release power through our stories. Every chapter, every season, every moment. And it's going to require us to bring forth, to reopen chapters where we were left wounded, where we were left broken, offended, ashamed. But when we realize that our stories matter and that our stories is, is part of this greater story of God's redeeming work, we'll own it. Because when we own our own stories, that's when God can release his power through them. Amen? Your story matters, not just your story, but your whole story. And I think one of the biggest things that prevent us from owning our stories is shame. Can you turn to the person next to you and say shame? I know you guys don't do this often, but we're going to do something new. Shame. And shame is such a powerful influence in our lives because it makes us question our self-worth and who we're called to be. Brene Brown, she's an expert on shame. She's been researching it for like 12 years. She's got a great TED Talk. Um, She's got a great book called Daring Greatly. Um, And she defines shame like this. Shame constantly tells us you're not good enough. And shame constantly asks us, who do you think you are? And if we're honest with ourselves, at the core of our being, we all deal with shame to one degree or another. If I ask you to fill in the statement, you're not blank enough, you guys can automatically fill in that statement instantaneously right now. You're not good enough. You're not worth enough. You're not qualified enough. You're not motherly or fatherly enough. Shame tells us that our stories are not worth sharing, that you're not worth knowing, that there's no power in your story, and just keep yourself hidden and broken. And for me personally, just shame has been mm, just a big influence in my life, just preventing me from living wholeheartedly in the kingdom of God. And just to give you a little bit of testimony, in second grade, um, I got chicken pox. And for, you know, everyone knows that once you get chicken pox, you can't go to school, you can't hang out with anyone, and you're stuck in your house for like two days. And I just remember so badly, like, oh, as soon as I'm healed, I'm going to go out and play with my friends all day. And this was in April. 
So the day came, and I was given the clearance to go outside, and I, you know, I spent the whole day outside with my friends. And, and then I remember coming back home inside, and then my mom kind of freaks out. And she looks at my skin, and I look at my skin, and there's rashes and there's blisters. And she's freaking out because, you know, as you guys all know, that once you get chickenpox and you're fully healed of it, it never comes back. So she was, she was freaking out. So eventually we went to the dermatologist, and I found out that I was allergic to the sun. Yeah, I was allergic to the sun. And, and, you know, it depends. It can be like 10 minutes, 30 minutes, depending on how strong the sun is. But basically what would happen is that, I mean, I have a picture, so can we actually lo- upload that picture right now? Um, basically what would happen is if I stay out in the sun for too long, I eventually get blisters all over my hand, my feet, my face, my nose, my ear. And they would itch so much that I would itch it. And if you itch it, eventually the blisters pop. And then because, you know, my nails are dirty as a kid, it just gets infected. And the next thing I know, I have fevers. And eventually they turn to scabs. But the worst part about growing up with this skin condition wasn't the physical aspect of it. It was the way people reacted to it and just growing up as a kid with this condition in school. And as you can see, it's not, uh, was it up before? Okay, yeah, as you can see, it's not the most pleasant thing to see. So I just remember I hated going to school every single day because I would walk in the hallways and I would hear just people just shouting names, pepperoni face, because I would have scabs all over my face. People would openly comment in front of me, ew, or yuck. And if they didn't, if they didn't openly comment, you can just tell from their eyes and their eyes would communicate to me, you're disgusting, you're a freak, you're a disease. And so basically, um, yeah, you know, I spent a lot of my time not trying to make eye contact with people for the longest time. And I would always cover my arms and my face. And I wouldn't want to make contact with anyone. And you know, growing, you know, I, I can't, it's, it's not as bad as I, you know, speak as it now, but, you know, just growing up as a kid, you know, those messages just dug deep, really hard in my heart. And I begin to hear the voice of shame saying, You're not good enough. There's something wrong with you. No one will accept you, no one will love you. That God doesn't love you because he obviously gave you this condition. And the skin condition left me not only broken physically, but emotionally, socially, spiritually. You know, this is how I got addicted to pornography because I needed to find love and acceptance. And the only way I could do it was finding it through fake intimacy, through a computer of all places. I couldn't connect with people because I was scared that once they found out about what I have, that they would react. And so I assumed that I was protecting myself by not getting intimate with people. You know, my mom, our relationship was horrible for years because we would fight, you know. 
As a mother, her heart, it pained her to see me just growing up in that way. And she said, you know, why would you go outside and put yourself in that situation? But as a young, stubborn kid, I wanted to go outside and prove to myself that I'm not going to live in a limited way. That even if it meant that I was going to suffer, I didn't care. I wasn't going to let the skin condition hold me down. And therefore, we would fight all the time. And even just my relationship with God, you know, it just, I just felt like an orphan. You know, that there was this lie in my head that God gave me this condition because he didn't love me. And therefore, I tried everything and anything to earn God's love. And, you know, I grew up broken in that sense. Scared, angry, insecure, fearful of man. I grew up as a little boy who believed that God didn't love me enough, and therefore I wasn't chosen. But if you look in today's passage today, I love how after Paul encounters Jesus and he regains his sight, the first thing that God speaks to him is this, I have chosen you. Ananias says, the God of our ancestors has chosen you. And like, can you imagine the shame that Paul was feeling at that moment? Like, he just found out that Jesus is real, and he's been persecuting his people the whole time. Like, he must have thought, I'm the worst human being on earth. But God breaks the power of shame right from the beginning and sends Paul off to his destiny and tells Paul that he is chosen. And I think that's the word for our generation and for our church today. That if we're going to pursue after our God-given destinies, we have to do it from a place of chosenness and not from shame. We've got to know that we're chosen, we're loved, and we're accepted. The voice of God saying that I have chosen you has to be louder than the voice of shame that we hear. Amen? And if God can choose Paul, God can choose anyone, right? Because God isn't looking for perfect people, but God is looking for real people. God isn't looking for people with perfect lives, but God is looking for people with broken lives who are willing to surrender it so that they can become masterpieces. 2 Corinthians 12, 9, it says this, His grace is made perfect in my weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more of my weaknesses so Christ's power may rest on me. Your brokenness doesn't disqualify you from the kingdom of God. It's actually the very thing that qualifies you so that God's power may rest on you, so that God's power may be displayed through us. And so when I think God looked at Paul, he didn't see an imperfect, broken vessel. But he saw a vessel that he can fill so that his power may be displayed. Amen. So we get to John 9. And um, I just like John 9. For those of you who don't know, John 9 is a story of Jesus um, and his disciples. And they come across this blind man in Jerusalem. And his disciples ask Lord, whose sin was it that this man was born blind, his own or his parents, right? They're they're asking from a cause and effect theology. Why did this happen? Why did this person have to die? What is this tragedy? Why did this tragedy happen? And Jesus is saying, you're asking the wrong question. The question isn't why or whose, whose fault was it. The question you should be asking is what now? What can God do with this now? How can God redeem this? What can God do with blindness? What can God do on your best days and your worst days? So Jesus spits into the mud, and he picks up the mud and rubs it on the person's eye, on the blind man's eye, 
and the blind man washes it off, and he's healed. And Jesus says at the moment, this happened so the power of Jesus can be displayed through his life for this very moment. Jesus is redeeming our stories. And I don't know why God gave me some analogies, right? This is the question I've been asking since second grade. I would cry myself to sleep asking God why. I don't know why he allowed it to happen if he's such a good God, right? But over the years, the thing that God's been telling me is I'm going to redeem it, Josh. I'm going to redeem those chapters in your life. Yeah, you wish you can edit it, but I'm going to redeem it. And until that day comes, I choose to be rooted in God's goodness and his presence rather than focus on his absence and what he's not doing. And that's just been my journey for the past six years. Learning to trust God even when it doesn't make sense. Trusting him even when I feel the anger, the bitterness, the insecurities rise up. Believing that his power is going to be displayed through my life. And I refuse to let my story be about an orphan boy who couldn't accept God's love. And I choose to let it be a story about a beloved son who trusts in a good, perfect father and who still chooses me despite my weakness and my brokenness. And that's the story that I want to own. That's the power that I want my story to release, a power of redemption, story of Jesus' redemption in my life. Amen? So as we just come back into Paul's last day in Acts 22, we see Jesus' redemption. And you have to understand that Acts 22 is a redemption of Acts 7. Because what happened in Acts 7 is that we see Stephen the martyr, right? And he's standing before a crowd because he's been falsely accused just like Paul. And you have to see that this, this part of the story is so cool because you have to understand that there's Stephen standing in the moment in front of a crowd. And then next thing you know, before he gets martyred, you'll see Jesus standing in front of everyone in heaven, approving of Stephen's life. And then on the side, you see Apostle Paul, who was then known as Saul, and he's standing there approving of Stephen's death. I mean, Saul has no idea that he's going to be the next leader of this movement. Stephen has no idea that the man who's going to approve his death is going to be the next leader of this movement. So Stephen starts off his very last words, and he speaks to the crowd, and he says, Brothers and fathers, and he gives a testimony of God. So now we come 15 chapters later, and we find Paul in the same city, in the same place, in the same situation, with the same accusations. But instead, this time, here's Paul being attacked by Saul's. And you know, Stephen's death, I bet Paul carried that with him all the time because that had to be such a definitive moment in his life. Like that's the moment where his life totally changed, right? So at this moment, he knows that he's in the same place, the same town. He knows that he's in, the, he's, in, he's in the same situation. And you know that he's thinking back to Acts 7. And so how does he start off in Acts 22 today? He says, brothers and fathers. 
God has a beautiful way of redeeming stories. He brought Paul full circle back. That even the darkest chapter of Paul's life in Acts 7 is the very chapter that he's standing in now in Acts 22. What a redemptive moment, amen? In Acts 7, he was the one approving of Stephen's death. Because he was following this guy named Jesus. But now Paul is standing in that very moment again, full circle. And now he's the one who's willing to die for Jesus. Your story matters. Your brokenness is powerful. And I think God really wants to redeem certain chapters, season, moments in our life right now. So can we just bow our heads in prayer? Come, Holy Spirit. We honor you in this place. You know things better than we do. You know the wounds, the bitterness in our hearts better than we do. And I just feel like right now, I feel like God wants to bring up old chapters in our life. Chapters that we put away because we've been too wounded. Chapters that we didn't want to deal with. But chapters where we felt confused. And I feel like God's saying, I want to redeem it. I want to show you how, you, how I'm going to redeem it. But I first need you to not ask me why did this happen. But I first need you to change your heart, change your posture, and ask me how I'm going to redeem it. Because I will. That's his promise. So at this time, can we just spend time in prayer? Just invite the Holy Spirit and and just allow God to do his redeeming work.